Well, friends, speaking of children, one of the obvious, often highly entertaining, and occasionally greatly irritating truths about children is that they love to imitate people and things. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever been the subject of that? Perhaps you have. Anyone who spent almost any amount of time with young children knows the following scenes. That scene of maybe a four or five-year-old at play in her bedroom, filled with stuffed animals and toys, crawling around on the ground, making noises like her favorite uh, animal. Or the vastly different noises of a group and of rough and tumble boys dressing up in their own right like battle-ready soldiers off to play war in the backyard. That's how I spent my entire childhood, was playing war. Or that of a sweet little lady sneaking into her mother's bedroom just to try on mom's clothes and slather on some of mom's lipstick and makeup, trying to look pretty like mommy. I think we have a picture of Gabby when she was just a little one that I'm holding on as leverage for some time in the future. (laughs) Well, if imitation really is the sincerest form of flattery, then children are the best mimics in the world. But you know, just like there is a natural tendency for our kids to want to look like us or to act like us as their parents, from Ephesians 5 verses 1 and 2 this morning, we're going to be reminded that there is an important spiritual tendency. We might even just say an important trajectory even that really ought to be true of those who, by God's own grace and through the gift of faith, are privileged to know God as Father. That is, for us as God's spiritual children, we who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are commanded to imitate God. We are commanded to replicate, to reflect or to even copy certain characteristics of God, particularly the quality or characteristic of love out of obedience to God and for the purpose of edifying or building others up. In other words, those who are created to be like God are commanded to walk in love after the pattern and in the power of King Jesus. Well, the Puritan theologian Thomas Watson maybe said it best when he said, it is one thing to profess God, it is quite another to resemble Him. Do you look like God? Do you imitate God in any way? That's a challenging question, is it not? Well, friends, mere belief in God is not enough. James reminds us that even the demons believe in God and yet they shudder. But rather, true Christianity demands that real transformation comes whereby the power and presence of the Holy Spirit of God, God presses home this otherworldly life and the values and divine love actually of the very person of Christ into all the little corners and crevices of our being for the pleasure and for the praise of God the Father. Or maybe just simply stated, God's kids grow up to look like him. There's an old chorus that we sang in, in our Southern Baptist church to be like Jesus. To be like Jesus. My desire is to be like him. All through life's journey from earth to glory, my desire is to be like him. 
I want you to notice with me again, as Paul states here in Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2, that he says simply, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Just two verses this morning, but there's a lot packed into these two verses. Maybe you have read uh, the translation of the scriptures by Eugene Peterson called The Message. I know it's uh, maybe a little little controversial. It's a good paraphrase, not a good study translation, I would submit to you. But every once in a while, The Message very poignantly captures the intent and the meaning behind God's Word. And Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 is just such an occasion. Listen to what Eugene Peterson, how he paraphrases these, these verses. He writes, watch what God does, and then do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents, mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with Him and learn a life of love. He says, observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of Himself to us. Love like that closed quote. That's pretty good, and I think it's right on the money. In other words, Paul is simply saying to you and I this morning that as members of God's spiritual family, members of the household of the church, we should favor the Father. We should take after God the Father. And most notably, we should imitate His way of lavish, self-sacrificing, radically forgiving love. Do we love like that? To err is human. To forgive is out of the question. No, that's not how that goes. To err is human. To forgive is divine. You know, we're never more like God than when we are willing to forgive. So the Christian walk is to be a walk of godly, radical, self-sacrificial love. So, in terms of an outline, briefly this morning before we unpack each of these four points, I want you to see in Ephesians 5.1, there are really two halves to that verse. On the one hand, we have simply a straightforward command, that is, be imitators of God. It's not a suggestion, it's not an aspiration, it is a direct command to Christians. This command is then followed or accompanied by a condition. That's the second point that we'll look at this morning. The command, be imitators of God, the condition as beloved children. And we'll unpack why that must be the case. Then in Ephesians 5, 2, there are likewise two additional points. We see there is a clarification, a command, a condition, and then thirdly, a clarification. That is, and walk in love. What does it mean to imitate God the Father? Well, it means for us to walk in love. And this is followed by a supreme example or demonstration, which is the very love of Christ for us. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So that's our roadmap for the next few minutes this morning together. So first, the command. In case anybody is uh, confused, it's very straightforward, though not a little bit daunting. Be imitators of God. How'd you do with that this week, friends? Everybody doing okay? Imitating God throughout the week? Well, again, notice the word therefore at the beginning of chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God. That therefore is put therefore a reason, right? 
It links us back, it points us back, particularly to what Paul had just said. He could have said something like, so then, or now on account of this, or in light of this important fact, you should. That's what the word therefore is getting at. And what had Paul just said? Well, look back at Ephesians 4 verse 32 specifically, where Paul says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I love Psalm 103. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. We are to forgive as God has forgiven us. Isn't that impossible? Well, it's what we're called to do. Well, listen, Paul says that since God has so treated us by His grace in this way, since we as fallen sinful people, remember back to Ephesians 2, right? Who were dead in our trespasses and sins, the ways in which we once walked. Notice the language here, following the course of this world. In other words, we were copying sinful, satanic behavior. Following these deeds and the behaviors of corrupted humanity, since God so treated us as sinful human beings with grace through the gospel, so too should we treat others. So too should we imitate and emulate God the Father. As I said several weeks ago, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 really appears to be the inspired conclusion of all that Paul had been saying in chapter 4. Paul's entire argument, which again, there's really an unfortunate chapter break between Ephesians 4, 32 and Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. That need to put off the old self, which really reeks of rottenness and depravity, to put on the new self, which has the aroma of Christ's likeness, the fragrance of faith even. Why? Verse 24 of Ephesians 4, because we have been created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Forgiven people forgive people. Forgiven people forgive people. Forgiveness isn't a narrow one-way back alley street, but rather it is to be a super highway for the spiritually mature who are growing up to be more and more like Jesus. I want you to observe next that the word translated for us, imitators, it's actually a a plural phrase here, you, down south we'd say all y'all, be imitators of God, uh, and it is from the Greek word mimetai or mimetase. And this very obviously, even, you know, anybody might see this, is where we get the English word mimic. Mimic. In essence, what the Apostle Paul is saying is, hey, guys, you who have been called of God in election and you who have been cleansed by God through the redemption that comes in Christ Jesus and you who have been and are being changed forever by the presence of God through the Holy Spirit, you are now called to copy God, to imitate God the Father by His own Spirit. Listen to me. If you want to be with God in the future, and and who doesn't want to be with God in the future? Then you must walk with God in the presence. In the present. If you want to be with God, you must become like 
God. Now, by the way, this particular Greek word, mimetai, again, is used, interestingly, only seven times in the New Testament. And only once is it used in reference to imitating God the Father. And that's right here in Ephesians 5, verse 1. The other six times, I think they're listed for you on the screen behind me, they mostly are Paul saying, friends, imitate me. Copy my life. My life is to be a facsimile of faith for you as Christ's disciples. On a couple of instances, Paul is saying, be imitators of churches or Christian groups. Let me give you just a couple of, of these as examples. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 says this. Paul says, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example. Notice the, uh, that they imitated Paul so that they became a copy to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. And the only other instance of this word found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul commends the church for imitating the godly character of other faithful congregations. I would pray for our congregation to be a model congregation, that other Christian groups, other churches in this community might say, we want to glorify God as Trinity Bible Fellowship Church is glorifying God. 1 Thessalonians 2.14, Paul says, For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. The point simply is this, that Christians are to be copycats. You know, as I grew up, the second of four boys, and I hated it when they copied me. I hated it. But as Christians, we are to copy Jesus. We are to copy faithfulness. That is, we are to be like God in our actions and in our attitudes and maybe most clearly in our willingness to forgive others when they sin against us. But this poses an obvious and enormous problem. Anybody see the problem? How on earth... Can sinful, fallen human beings, yeah, that's us, right? How can fallen, sinful beings ever possibly hope to imitate a perfect God? Have you struggled with this? Boy, I know that I have. Do you remember what Jesus says in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, verse 48? He actually says, you therefore be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. How many of you had a perfect week this week? How are we to measure up to this particular standard and live up to this particular command? Was Jesus just pulling our leg or maybe worse, demanding the impossible with such language in the Sermon on the Mount? Be ye perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Again, how can mere broken sinners, which we all are, ever hope to imitate a holy and sovereign God? Well, that brings us to point number two. After the command, we have the condition as beloved children. New life is required. One author aptly said, I look at this command, verse 1, and I see real problems. Humans can never perfectly imitate God in all ways. God is perfect 
man is flawed. God is omnipotent, man is weak. God is all-knowing, and man is often foolish. God is omnipresent, man is limited and finite. God is purely good, and man is radically depraved. God is spirit, man is flesh. God is eternal, man is temporal. God is heavenly, man is earthly. God is holy, man is sinful. Closed quote. In other words, we couldn't be more unlike God if we tried, friends. Sinful creatures becoming like a sovereign creator is a lot like me saying, I want to become the greatest quarterback in NFL history. Fat chance. Is that just wishful thinking? Well, for me and athletics, it absolutely is. Just come watch the church softball game this afternoon. But when it comes to this particular point, God is not commanding what he will not allow. See, the initial command to be imitators of God comes with an important and amazing qualifying condition. Namely, that we must be the Lord's beloved child. Through grace of salvation and in Christ in order to have the capacity, even now this new ability, to copy God. Only God's spiritual kids are able to look like Him. That's part of Paul's point here. One commentator, and I forget who said this, noted that Ephesians 5.1 is actually the perfect parallel or, or a complement to Ephesians 1.5. Ephesians 5.1 and Ephesians 1.5. Go back to Ephesians 1 verses 5 and 6 to see what Paul says there. Paul writes, in love, that's the very last two words of verse 4, but they really go with the next statement. In love, he predestined us for what? Adoption. For adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Did you know that if you are God's child at all, you are an adopted child? You're adopted, friends. There was, uh, there was very likely a time for Paul, just like any self-respecting Jewish person of his day, that Paul thought the very suggestion of imitating God was a foolish notion at best, or perhaps at worst, maybe even blatant blasphemy. Who are we to imitate the one God? That would have been the thought on the mind of a good Jewish person. Listen, both human nature and the holy law of God made the separation between God and man abundantly clear. However, through the gospel and more specifically through the gracious incarnation of Jesus Christ, the God-man, a bridge reconnecting and, and, and re -bring, uh, bringing back God to man, creature with his creator was powerfully and permanently established. 1 Peter 3.18 is a great verse to, to cite here. For Christ also suffered for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Look, the Bible informs us, and we need to get this straight, that the Lord Jesus Christ alone is begotten of the Father. 
True God of true God, true man of true man, coming in the incarnation full of grace and truth. These are truths exclusive to Jesus. And from his fullness, Jesus' fullness, John tells us, John 1, 16, we have all received grace upon grace upon grace. Jesus is unique in history. We're called to emulate him, but we can't be him. We cannot replace him. However, the rest of God's beloved children, you and I here this morning, are all his adopted children, spared from the awful and just wrath of God towards our sin and rescued by his awesome and redeeming love through the adoption that comes to us by grace and through the gift of faith. Here I think of John chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, and verse 13 as well, where it says, Jesus, he came to, to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In other words, how do we get into this spiritual family? We don't press our way in. We are brought in by grace. Or again, as John writes elsewhere, 1 John 3, verses 1 to 3, See what kind of love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason the world does not know us, you can maybe translate that, the reason the world does not recognize us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. The author of the classic book, Knowing God is a Man by the name of J.I. Packer, maybe some of you have read that book. He was once asked, what is a Christian? To which he replied, quote, the greatest, excuse me, this question may be answered in one of several ways, but the richest answer that I know is to to sum it up this way, a Christian is one who has God as father. You may sum up the whole of the New Testament if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's holy father through faith in Jesus Christ his son. Church, listen. A Christian then is someone who has been rescued, who has been redeemed, who's been reconciled and adopted and loved and sealed by the Father through faith in Christ the Son by the power and working of the Holy Spirit. Is that your experience? Do you know God as Father intimately and personally this morning? Well, listen. The precondition to perform this command, which is to imitate God, is that we are his beloved children through faith in the gospel. In other words, instantly upon our entrance into God's spiritual family through repentance of sin and trust in Christ, we are told that the very presence and power of God invades, fills, and overflows into our hearts thus producing the quality of fruit and the kind of spiritual life which is fully and perfectly pleasing to God. But this very power is outside of us. 
That is to say, we are dependent on Jesus to become like Jesus. Paul says it this way in Galatians 2, verses 19 and 24, Through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you walk around like a poor, broken down Christian? Listen to what 2 Peter chapter 1 says to you. 2 Peter 1 verse 3 and following says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises. Notice why. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from becoming ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are not poor. We are powerful in the Spirit. The same writer Peter reinforces this vital spiritual law in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 to 16. Listen to these words. Therefore, Peter says, preparing your minds for action... And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Notice what he says next. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, so you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, Leviticus 11.44 states, you shall be holy for I am holy. So the point implicit in this condition is that I can't please God, let alone try to imitate or emulate God unless or until I've been born again. I'm his spiritual son in the faith. In other words, God, I must be God's redeemed child before I can imitate God's love. Well, friends, this brings us to our third of four points this morning, and that is the clarification. This helps us to understand this maybe ambiguous command of verse 1. What if I am God's spiritually adopted son or daughter? What next? What should my life really look like? And notice Paul sums it up in a short phrase. We're to walk in love. What does it look like to imitate God? It means that we walk in love. To imitate God the Father is to walk in love before Him and before others. Ephesians 5, 2, again, really is more of an elaboration. Maybe you would say a clarification, an amplification even of Ephesians 5, 1. How do we imitate God? Simply stated, we walk in love. Why? 
Because 1 John tells us that God himself is love. And if we're to look like God, our life is to reflect his love. Well, I think here is about as good a time as any for us to consider that there really are certain limitations to copying or imitating God. Does Paul mean that we are to copy or imitate God in every way, in every attribute that God has? And by the way, this is a good commercial for our summer Sunday school class. Today, Pastor Jerry will kick off our our summer Sunday school for adults on the attributes of God. Are we really supposed to imitate every particular attribute that we're going to survey this summer? I don't think so. There are big, cosmic divinely important limitations or distinctions on what this verse means and what it doesn't mean in imitating God. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 is not saying that as God's spiritual kids, we become divine, that we actually become like God all the way and in every way. That is a misunderstanding of this verse. No, there is and always will be a great and unsurmountable distinction between God and men. Like other false teachings, Mormonism, just to name one, we do not become God. The Bible, Bible teachers and theologians commonly refer to two important categories, large categories of divine attributes or characteristics for God. Namely, on the one hand, there are God's communicable attributes, and his, secondly, His incommunicable attributes, or what we might say God's shareable attributes, and those that are non-shareable. For example, God's communicable attributes are those characteristics like God's patience, His kindness, God's willingness to forgive his sense of justice and righteousness in the earth, and his capacious sense of love, which we humans, likewise, we may possess, we may imitate, albeit imperfectly and only finitely. In essence, God's communicable or shareable attributes are behind what Paul describes as the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, verses 22 and following. You all know these words. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. We can, even we must, emulate those qualities. As Paul says, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. We are to imitate those attributes. However, on the other hand, that's not all there is to God. God's incommunicable characteristics are those aspects of God's character and being that cannot be shared with His creation. For instance, Paul is not commanding us to imitate God's omniscience, the fact that he knows everything, or his omnipresence that he's everywhere at once, or his omnipotence that he is all-powerful. We cannot imitate, nor are we called to imitate that. The Christian could not possibly be called to imitate God's sovereignty, or his transcendence, or the fact that God is immutable, that is unchanging, or even God's self-existence. 
You're off the hook. You're not called to imitate those things. These characteristics are exclusive. They are unique to God himself. And so the important distinction, again, what I call this morning the clarification that I think Paul makes here in this parallel statement in verse 2, is that firstly, because Christians are right now God's children, through the gospel we are new creations created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And because we have the indwelling power and presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, then there are specific qualities, attributes, and characteristics that resemble God, which we are commanded to emulate and imitate today. And chief among these, chief among these communicable attributes is that of walking in love. Because God is love, because God is greatly loving and gracious, even to the most undeserving of creatures like me and like you, we are called to walk in love. Love really is the birthmark of believing in Jesus. One of the clearest admonitions of walking in love is found over in 1 John chapter 4. This is a passage that maybe many of you are thinking about this morning. 1 John 4 verse 7 says simply, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Verse 9, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So Paul is being very clear. We are called to reflect or even copy or imitate God, but particularly we are called to imitate his love, his love. And that brings us to our fourth and final point this morning, which I'm calling the illustration We've had a command, we've had um, the condition, we've had this clarification, and now we find the demonstration or the illustration of this profound love. The second clause of verse 2, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Church, the cross of Jesus stands at the epicenter of our existence, bloodied and yet beautiful, gruesome and yet utterly glorious stands Calvary. At the cross, the wrath of a righteous judge was perfectly displayed in holy harmony with the love of a forgiving father at the cross. And by this one sacrifice, Jesus Christ, our Lord, has forgiven Not just part, not just some, but all our sins. And brought us together into the one glorious household of the holy God. As Peter says, by his wounds we've been healed. 
So then the sacrifice of Jesus again at the cross was the supreme illustration, the greatest demonstration of God's love for the world. It was the most pleasing of fragrances, the most fragrant offering of all earthly offerings ever to be made to a holy God. Paul puts it this way in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Or again, Paul, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him to be sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see, Jesus was rejected so that you and I might be accepted. Therefore, a cross-shaped gospel demands a Christ-like life. What does the Apostle Paul say in the book of Romans after unfolding the brilliance of the gospel of justification by faith alone? He says this in Romans 12, 1 and 2. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, in view of the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, a life so loved and so fully and freely forgiven by the Father through Jesus Christ, the Son, will eventually, it will inevitably take on the character of such love, both to God and to others, out of obedient gratitude and for the sake of building others up. God's kids who possess his own spiritual DNA by virtue of adoption and the new birth through the Spirit will produce certain qualities and characteristics that actually pertain and reflect the very life of God himself, again, chiefly that of love. The more time we spend with God the Father in prayer, or perhaps the more time we spend meditating upon the commandments of Christ in the Word of God, or the more time we spend exercising the muscles of our faith in Christian service and obedience, the more we will come to look and smell and act like Jesus himself. What does this supernatural capacity to love look and feel like? Well, in a word, it looks like Christ. I think of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 7 where Paul describes this Christ-like capacity to love the unlovely and to forgive the unforgivable. Or he says, love is patient and love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful, dads. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Paul says, love never ends. Is that true of us? And so putting all this together, putting all this together this morning, our command, again, to be imitators of God, is predicated upon this astonishing condition that we are beloved children, through which it's further clarified by Paul that we are to walk in love 
And it ultimately comes to this illustration that we walk in a Christ-like sort of way. So, growing up to maturity means that we're going to look more and more like Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's bow in prayer. God, my simple prayer at the end of this sermon is simply this. Enable your church to imitate you. Amen.